Thanks for joining us through the Crossbridge Podcast. We hope this message speaks to you wherever you may be on your spiritual journey and helps you take your next step of growth in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Crossbridge or to speak with one of our ministry team members, please visit crossbridge.church. Well, no pressure to join a group there, but I hope you got some good good chatter happening. It really is great uh, to be here with you this weekend. As, uh, as was mentioned, my name is Josh Pay, and I have the joy of serving with World Vision. And it's so great to be able to be here with you this weekend and to bring you greetings from all of my colleagues who are serving in more than 100 different countries around the world. I know that many of you in this church are very familiar with World Vision's work. In fact, you've been partnering with World Vision for more than seven years now, but others of you, maybe you've joined the church in the last year or so, are a little unfamiliar with who World Vision is or the work that we do. And you may be interested to know that we serve in more than 100 different countries in communities that are living on less than $1.90 a day. And over the last 70 years that we've had the joy of serving all around the world, it's allowed us to become the largest non-governmental provider of clean water in the world and the largest provider of food aid. And we do all of that boldly in the name of our Lord. But we are so grateful. We are so grateful not just to get to do that word or that work, but to be in partnership with great churches like you. We are so inspired by this community, by Pastor Keith. I know this has been a big year, Pastor Keith sort of getting his, his uh, foundation set here in the church and offering you great leadership. It's been a wonderful year for that this past year. Think about so many great people like Sherry Stevenson, who's been leading Team Road Vision for seven years now, and many others. We're so inspired by your love and your generosity that's reaching beyond these walls to bring hope and help right here to your community. As was mentioned, uh, I spent 10 years serving as a senior pastor in Rockford, Illinois, 18 years total in pastoral leadership, and I just so value the work of the local church right here in your community and all around the world. And I would love for you to meet uh, my crew. This is my crew there in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania these days. This is where we call home now. Uh, but this is my wife, Pilar, and my daughter, Abigail, my son, Andrew. Uh, he's the younger of the two guys in that picture there. Uh, my father-in-law is in the Ohio University hat, and of course, my mother-in-law, Jenny, as well. This was taken a couple of years ago, 2001, when our family was walking the global 6K for water. And I know that many of you have partnered with World Vision to walk the global 6K right here in Ottawa. And those of you watching in Peru, maybe watching online as well, you have walked the global 6K in solidarity with young girls, largely young girls, who will forego an education and instead spend their days walking nearly four miles one way, two times each day, in search of a drinking water source. And typically what they find when they eventually do find water is not clean drinking water. Instead, it's dirty water that carries all sorts of waterborne bacteria that will take the life of some 50% of children in the developing world before the age of five. And at World Vision, our heart just breaks to be a people, a community of churches that will address that issue, that will actually, we believe at World Vision that together with you, with great churches like you, we can actually eradicate extreme poverty in our lifetime by doing things like coming along and providing clean sources of drinking water for the communities that we serve. And church, you've been doing that in a mighty way. 
Before I jump into really what I want to talk about today, I just want to take a moment to say thank you. Thank you to each and every one of you who for the past seven years have been moving your feet for the poor. In fact, little update, get this, together, just as a church, just Crossbridge Church, you have raised a little over $704,000 for clean drinking water. You have moved your feet with friends so that you could give the gift of clean water to a child. And more than that, you've built great friendships and you shared laughter and you've allowed your life to be transformed by Jesus by training together all of those many, many miles. And I'm guessing you have inspired your community in the process. And on behalf of all of my friends at World Vision, again, I just want to say, way to go. Man, way to go, church. Way to go for moving your, for, your feet, many of you, for a specific child. In fact, that's why I run. I've run the Chicago Marathon two times now, two, 2017, 2018, when I was pastoring the church in Rockford. We ran with many of you those two years. And I run for a specific child. I run for Michelle. In fact, if you went to my kitchen in Pittsburgh these days and you looked at my refrigerator, you would see this. Our picture of Michelle, she lives in Bartaba, Kenya, and all of these letters that she writes to us and that we write back to her. And if you were there, if we were around my kitchen table, I would tell you the story after story after story about how your miles and mine are working together to bring clean drinking water to her community, to Bartaba, Kenya. And it is all because courageous people like you have decided to step through fear and say yes to make your life count. Isn't that what all of us want to do? Don't we all want to make our life count for something? I mean, that, that's a question I want to wrestle with here today just a little bit. I mean, how do I, in fact, make my life count? You know, several years ago when we were living in Rockford, our family escaped. We would do this from time to time, the cold winter, up into the Wisconsin Dells. Ever been to the Wisconsin Dells before? And we would make our way to the Great Wolf Lodge there, and our kids would love the thrill of the water slides for a couple of days. And when they eventually would get sort of waterlogged, they'd make their way into one of these big arcades that's filled with hundreds and hundreds of flashing, blinking, singing, quarter-wasting games. <laughs> and on one particular year we were up there, my daughter Abigail, who you saw there, she was about 10 years old at the time, I put a whole bunch of tokens into her hand and she went around that arcade sort of going from one game to the other, depositing one token after the other. And after a while though, she sort of slowed down. She didn't quite, you know, have the same enthusiasm going around that arcade. And I kind of came up to her and said, babe, what, what gives? What, what's going on? And she said, daddy, I have one token left. Just one token. I got to make it count. And uh, she made her way over to this big wheel. You saw it there. One of these like price of right, pri uh, the price is right wheels. And she spun it. And uh, she put that token in there. I tried to talk her out of it. I said, listen, babe, nobody ever gets more than like three or four tokens, three or four tickets on this game. Don't waste it on this. But she was insistent. She put it in there and she spun it and round and round and round and round. It spun until eventually it landed here. Let's look at that picture again. It landed right here. One thousand tickets and she was just beaming with joy and she turned to me and she said daddy did I make it count did I make it count daddy 
I think all of us are asking that question. How do I make my life count for something? For something beautiful, for something meaningful in this world? You know, there is a a word that is used to describe you in Scripture that my guess is is not a word that you would often associate yourself with. There is a term that's used in the New Testament that if I had a guess, you've you've never really looked at this term and thought, yeah, that's me. I know there are many that are there that you would. I mean, words like loved, forgiven, accepted, redeemed. But there is this other word that is used there of you that I highly doubt you would immediately resonate with. And the word is this, priest. Anyone grow up in the Catholic tradition? My wife, Pilar, did. And in fact, when we met, I was pastoring a church in Nashua, New Hampshire, and she came, like so many of you, the first time that you came to church, she came just sort of exploring her faith and having been raised in that Catholic tradition. And I'll never forget when we met, we hit it off, we became fast friends, friends long before we ever dated. And after a while, I sort of wanted to ask her out, and she sort of hoped that I would, but she had one very complicated question having grown up in the Catholic church. Remember, I was a pastor at this time. Can you date the priest? Now, of course, I wasn't a priest, but when that's what you've grown up in, when that's all that you know, it's a very honest question. So on our first date, just to sort of mess with her a little bit, I went to her door, knocked on the door, she opened it up, and there I stood in a clerical collar and a long black robe. No, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. But that word is a word that is good to describe you. See, you and me, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you're making every effort, every attempt to passionately pursue him with your life, then that is a word that describes you. And it describes how you're called to make your life count for something beautiful and for something meaningful in this world. It was Peter, the Apostle Peter. He too was one of Jesus' disciples like you and me, one of the very first leaders of the very first early church. And he wrote to some of the very first Christians and he used that word. He said this, he said, you are the ones who are chosen by God, chosen for this high calling of, here it is, priestly work. Chosen to be a holy people. That simply is to say that you have been set apart to do good work in this world, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work, to speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference that he has made in your life, how he has turned you from nothing into something, from rejected into accepted. You and me, we have been called into the high priestly work of loving God and serving him in this world. And you know, that was a pretty big shift for that very first church. When, when Peter wrote these words, these were not common thoughts for those folks following Jesus in that time. See, up until that time, the, the idea of being a priest, of doing ministry, was largely reserved for just a few people who had the work of going to the temple and standing before people in God and making all the sacrifices that need to be made so that people could be in right standing with their creator. But you see, when Jesus went to the cross, he reset that whole sacrificial system. And now he made a way for anyone, for everyone, 
who would put their trust in him to be able to stand before God one-on-one and be found forgiven and free once and for all. And in that moment on the cross, he established his presence no longer in a physical temple that required a mediator between us and God, but now he established his presence in you and me. The scriptures say that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the place where the power of God dwells, the vessel through which God will move to change the world. See, Peter would continue in 1 Peter 4.10, he said, God has given each of you, you and me, a spiritual gift, a variety of gifts. And then he says this, he says, manage them well, why? So that God's generosity can flow through you. You know, it makes me think of the now recently retired CEO of World Vision, a guy named Rich Stearns. You may have read a book that Rich wrote years ago called The Hole in Our Gospel. Rich has such a beautiful story that really embodies this idea. In fact, when Rich was early in his career, he discovered that he had a gift, likely a spiritual gift of leadership. He just had this aptitude for strategic thinking and a commitment to team building and a prophetic sense of what to do next. That's leadership. And with time, his abilities sharpened and his experiences accumulated and his influence began to grow. And Fortune 500 companies like Mattel began to take notice and eventually he would serve as the CEO of Lenox China. You know, that China that's in your cabinets that no one's ever allowed to eat on. And uh, even CEOs though wonder, how do I make my life count? And one day Rich's phone rang and an executive headhunter was there to remind Rich of his passion for the oppressed and the marginalized in the world. And he issued Rich a new challenge. The challenge was this, would ministry just be for a few people who stand on stages and teach scriptures and lead churches or, or would ministry be something that was available to everyone? Would ministry and the call to ministry be placed upon anyone who would follow after Jesus? And so Rich decided to trade fine china for paper plates. And he agreed to lead World Vision into becoming the largest non-governmental provider of clean water in the world. An organization that would bring clean water to a child every 10 seconds who would respond to the largest humanitarian disasters in the world, things like an earthquake in Turkey and Syria, an organization that would distribute more food aid than any other organization in the world, but it took Rich believing in his gut that there is no A team and B team in God's kingdom. There is just one team, one people, a holy people set apart to do God's work in this world, a people who have decided in their spirit that they will do whatever it takes, no matter the cost, to reconcile people back to God and restore broken circumstances in this world. And to do that right here in your neighborhood to Paul and Susan who live two or three houses down the street, to do that for a newly married couple who just moved in next door to maybe host a group of moms at a playground where you can let your kids run and play while you talk and support each other to show up at a rescue mission 
and serve the down and the out, the marginalized of your city, maybe to take in an Afghan family or a Ukrainian refugee looking for a path forward, to gather folks, as was just described in your living room, and offer support and encouragement and prayer as you passionately pursue Jesus together, but to also do that around the world, to never forsake the poor, the the oppressed and the marginalized in some of the most vulnerable communities on our globe. And when you do, to bring hope and to offer love and to represent Jesus, to drop a token in and spin the wheel and decide that you're gonna make your life count. But you know, there is a hurdle that we all face when that desire is stirred inside of us. I mean, there is a real barrier that we all have to wrestle with when we decide that we're gonna make our lives count. And that barrier typically comes in a whisper. It's a whisper that echoes in all of our hearts and the whisper is this. But who am I? I mean, who am I? I I could never do something like that. I could never trade Linux China for paper plates. I could never be used by God in a big way to allow the transforming power of Jesus to flow through me. I mean, I could never lead a team or give a talk or organize, you know, a big event or raise money or pull off something special. Who? Who, me? I mean, I'm not, I'm not articulate. I'm not particularly skilled at anything. I'm not theologically trained. I certainly don't know enough about the Bible. I mean, people would never follow me, respond to me, listen to me. You ever hear that whisper? that quiet whisper. I don't know what it is, but I find it really interesting that whenever we stand before a big vision, there just is always something inside of us. It's true of all of us. It's universal. And I don't know why this is. There's just something inside of us that rather than looking at what we can do, rather than looking at what what we do bring, what we do have, what we can offer, for whatever reason, we just seem to look at our limitations, at our scarcity, what I don't have, what I can't bring. You see, the thing about following Jesus, though, is that Jesus will never call you to something that he doesn't also equip you for. He'll never do that. God will never call you to something that he doesn't also equip you for. See, I get it. When that whisper of inadequacy echoes in our minds, it is loud and it is strong. But no one who has ever made an impact in this world did so by listening to the voice of doubt. They did it by stepping through fear and choosing to say yes to a big vision in spite of their doubt. I love this quote by Winston Churchill. He said, we are all worms, but I do believe I'm a glow worm. (laughs) Be a glow worm. Understand your limitations for sure, but then step through fear beyond those limitations and say yes courageously to join God at bringing his compassion and his generosity to his world. See, I've been thinking a bunch about this this week in relationship to a guy named Moses. You know Moses, many of you do, from the Old Testament. He's one of the central figures of the Old Testament there, the first half of the Bible. He is the guy that would lead the people of Israel out of slavery and bondage and march them towards the promised land. He is a man whose 
Strength of leadership is still known and celebrated so many thousands of years later. But do you know that even Moses wrestled with this whisper of doubt when God asked him to make his life count? The moment that he'd heard the whisper, he was a shepherd, a rough and tumble man's man who slept out in the open field with a dirt-stained Carhartt and a sweat-stained Stetson. I mean, Moses was like the John Dutton, the Yellowstone guy of our day, right? And Moses was met by God with a grander vision for his life. And the vision was this, that he would leave his sheep and he would walk into the Egyptian Pharaoh's court and he would challenge the greatest power of his day. And when Moses began to sense that vision, though, he heard that doubt. He said, who am I? I mean, he had like all these objections. He says, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? Do you hear it? The whisper is there. And he began to raise several objections. He focused not on what he did have or what he could do, but on his scarcity. He says to God, listen, what if they don't believe me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Or Lord, you know, I'm not very good with words was another objection. He says, I've never been good with them. And now, even now, you know, even though you've spoken to me, I get all tongue-tied and my words get all tangled. And, And finally, when Moses was sitting before this big vision, finally, he just sort of pleaded, Lord, please send somebody else. You ever get to that point sometimes where you're just like, listen, well, I, I, don't, I give up. You just some, I don't even want to fight anymore. You send somebody else to do this. But it's right there in the midst of that exchange that something extraordinary happens. God directed Moses' vision towards the most simple of things. He asked Moses a question. He says, Moses, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? Now, Moses was a shepherd, remember, He'd been a shepherd for 40 years. Imagine, what do you think would be in a shepherd's hand? It'd be a staff, right? Moses stood there with a staff in his hands. And, you know, shepherds were notorious for hanging onto their staff for as long as possible. I mean, if you've ever been hiking in Starved Rock and you get a stick, right? It's like you get back to your car. The last thing you want to do is throw that stick away. It's like just become a part of you. You just love every piece of it. And that was true for a shepherd with his staff. The staff was a part of Moses' identity. It certainly represented his significance. It represented his influence. It represented his affluence. I mean, this staff was the way that he made his money, his income. And God says to Moses, listen, I want you to throw that down. In other words, Moses, take take what little thing you think you have. Take what little thing you think you bring. Release your grip around it and throw it down and just watch what I will do. And so Moses done, he, he does, he throws his staff down on the ground and instantly in that moment, if you know the story, it's transformed into a stake, snake. Something that was once just a dead piece of wood is now wild, alive, unpredictable. And God says to Moses, now I want you to bend down, I want you to pick it back up again. And Moses reaches down and he grabs the tail of that wild, alive, unpredictable snake and it instantly became a staff in his hand again. And here's just what I want you to consider. We have all been called by God to be his people and to do his work in this world. And God has placed a gift in you. He likely has given you an identity. He's given you a little bit of influence, a little bit of affluence. And as a treasured child of the most high God, 
You have significance beyond anything you could ever imagine. And now he is calling you in the midst of that significance to use your gifts to do whatever it takes to reconcile people back to God and restore broken circumstances in his world. And when you hear that whisper saying, who, you? I want you to say yes. Yes, me. Just like Moses, to see what is in your hand. So what are you holding there? What are you holding, simple and as insignificant as it may seem, that if you released it to God and his purposes in this world, it would become wild, alive, unpredictable? David had a sling and a few stones to defeat the mighty Philistine army. An unnamed boy on a mountainside one day with Jesus had five loaves and two fish. Peter had his testimony and the courage to speak. We all have something. We all have something in our hands. A little bit of influence, a little bit of affluence that God wants to use so that his generosity can flow through you. And I know that there are a host of different ways that you could begin to apply that reality to your life today. Ways that God wants to work through that quiet whisper to actually make your life count for something beautiful and meaningful in this world. But can I just lay one challenge in front of you? See, I wanna invite you today to another big idea, another big opportunity for you to make an impact in this world, similar to the way that many of you have been doing over the last seven years. And when I tell you here in just a moment what I'm inviting you to do, many of you are going to say, no, 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 I could never, ever, ever do that. You're immediately going to hear not a quiet whisper, maybe a really loud shout in your mind saying, no, who, who, me? But I want you to take a moment and move beyond that whisper or move beyond that shout to consider God say, yes, you. Here's the challenge I want to lay in front of you today to make your life count in this world. I want to invite you to join with some friends here at Crossbridge to run the Chicago Marathon this October. Now, immediately you said, no, 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 Josh, whoa, 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 whoa. You just used two words in the same sentence that I'll never do, run and marathon. I could never do that. But I just want you to hear me say, yes, you can. Yes, you can. In fact, we have a training plan that will take you from the couch to the finish line, and then if you want, right back to the couch again. In fact, I've done this plan myself. In 2017, a good friend, Michael Chitwood, I'd never run in my life, invited me to run the Chicago Marathon. And I thought to myself, I could never do that sort of thing. But do you know that we have more than 100,000 people who jump in on a training program that we have really designed for people who are non-runners? In fact, 80% of the people who run with Team Road Vision are first-time runners. They have never even run a 5K in their life, 80%. See, running with Team Road Vision, as many of you know, because you've watched your friends right here do it for years, this is not for elite athletes. I mean, this is for everyday people just like you and just like me. In fact, we've got a little phrase that we use at World Vision. We've, we love to use this phrase to describe ourselves. We call ourselves the back of the Packers. See, it's a badge of honor for us to finish dead last in these races because, of course, we don't run for ourselves. 
we run for Michelle. We run for young girls who are forgoing that, that education and walking for water. We run so that God's generosity can flow through us into this world. It's not about your level of fitness. It's about the size of your heart. To move your feet for the poor, for people who matter, so that they can receive access to clean drinking water. And all of that comes because of your willingness to step through fear and move beyond that whisper and say yes to being a part of an epic, epic journey. Watch this. You know, the Chicago Marathon, it's so, so special. This city comes together and no one's against each other. Everybody's for each other. The people cheering, 1.7 million spectators. When does anybody like me get that many people cheering for me? The Team World Vision family, it is a family. It doesn't matter how fast or how slow we run. These are all people who are seriously committed to changing the world with their feet. crisis is something that we think of very little because nobody here in the U.S. has to walk six miles back and forth daily to get water. Because of World Vision's work, children are free to go to school. Women are able to go to work and build up their local community. Hearing all of this just really moved me to know that I could play a small part to help people get the assistance that they need. I was in a motorcycle accident. I wasn't able to walk for about like three, four months. I get like emotional, like just to think about it because I'm so grateful that I can run for somebody else. I saw people of all shapes and sizes and I was like, wow, they've actually trained their bodies so they could do that. When I signed up, I feel like I said little yeses to overcome a lot of no's. When I don't want to get up some mornings, I just like, oh, I'm so tired, I'm too old. So I closed my eyes and said, Lord, I hear you. I'm running. It is truly the most epic journey you'll ever take. And it is such an amazing team to get to be a part of. As I mentioned, many of your friends have been running here in this community for the last seven years. And they are so excited to continue that tradition by going back to the Chicago Marathon this year. But I know, even as you watch that, as exciting as that video looks, some of you are still hearing that whisper now, thinking, who, who, me, run a marathon? I could never do that. But before you listen to that whisper, let me tell you just a few more quick stories and then Lauren's gonna come and wrap us up. I wanna tell you about three people about Henry and Ron and Kathy. Henry is the first gentleman there to the far left. Henry was 86 years old when he ran his first marathon with World Vision. In fact, uh, you have someone right here in your midst. I want to point out Steve Stahl right here. Steve has been running as a part of your church. 73 years young, Steve is. And he told me earlier that he's going to run again this year. I think I just signed you up, Steve. I think I just did. Ron is the second one there. Ron was 300 pounds when he signed up to run with Team Road Vision. And he had one of the most transformational journeys of his entire life, spiritually, emotionally, and physically, as he got healthy as a part of that team. And then finally is Kathy. Kathy's a school teacher. 
And when she joined Team Road Vision, she described all sorts of labels that she wore, how she was divorced and scattered and messy and depressed. But then as she joined the team and began to train, she began to see new labels emerged. And by the end of the season, she described herself as disciplined, courageous, faithful. And she said that she wore that cape in her classroom so that she could tell her students that courageous people can do hard things. See, you don't have to be an athlete. You don't have to have run anything, anywhere, anytime. You don't even have to run it like, like run if, you, if you're being chased, right? You have to like that. You just have to have an openness and a willingness to make your life count. I'll tell you one last story about my good friend, Josh. In fact, Josh is here. Josh is gonna lead an info session here after the service in just a moment. And I want you to meet Josh's sponsor child, Grace. A few years ago, Josh had the honor of traveling to Africa so that he could meet Grace, where together, as he sat with her, he asked the question, he said, Grace, tell me, what is the difference that clean water has made to your community? And as Josh tells the story, he says that really without any hesitation at all, Grace leaned in and said, well, Josh, I want to be a lawyer. And Josh thought, well, that's not the question that I asked you. That's not the response that I thought I was going to get. It was kind of an awkward moment, he describes. I mean, he wanted to know about the impact of water, and yet she told him that she wanted to be a lawyer, and that's when Grace's mom jumped in and said, Josh, you don't understand. Grace used to have to walk multiple times a day, six kilometers, to retrieve dirty water. But now, because you have moved your feet for the poor, now she doesn't have to do that any longer. Now she can go to school. Because of clean water, because it's accessible in her village, she can go to school, and it's given her the ability to lift her eyes and have a vision for her future. She wants to be a lawyer. And that moment marked my friend Josh. And it marks me every time I hear him tell that story. See, that's what it looks like to join a group of friends and to train for the Chicago Marathon so that girls like Grace can have her story multiplied again and again and again. See, Crossbridge, you can do this. And so after service, I just want to invite you to come down to a short info session just down to my right, right over here. It's not going to be very long at all. And in fact, coming to the info session doesn't commit you to doing anything. It just commits you to get a little more information to see what it would look like for you to step through fear, to move beyond that quiet whisper, and to make your life count for vulnerable kids in this world. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be with this beautiful community of people who are faithfully doing their best to follow you. Jesus, thank you for scriptures like what Peter wrote, reminding us that you've put a great gift in our life and you desire to let your generosity flow through us. Thanks for the testimony of Moses that reminds us to move beyond that whisper of doubt, to actually believe that great things, good things could happen in your world through faithful people who are willing to do whatever it takes, no matter the cost, to reconcile people back to you and to restore broken circumstances in your world. And so now, Lord, would you give us courage to do with what we have heard what you would call us to do. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Crossbridge Podcast. The mission of Crossbridge is to lead others into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And we'd love to partner with you on your spiritual journey. So please let us know how we can come alongside you and support you and pray for you by visiting crossbridge.church.